and we need to see made holy in our lives and in this church. And so to praise your glorious grace, may your work abound in the hearts of your people through your spirit's application of your word there in those hearts. There is something only you can do with these moments. Something only you can do with this word. And surely, Lord, it's only you that we need to hear from. And so have mercy on me as a vessel. Have mercy on us as sinners trying to hear this pure, righteous word. May your grace abound even to the chiefest sinners. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are confronted in verses 25 through 34 of the lack of, not the absence of, but the lack of faith that befalls many of those who endeavor to follow Christ. One of the most comforting things God has done and that God has, <coughs> pardon me, and that God has maintained throughout the fall of the world and the sin that runs rampant, is he has still illustrated for us in this world his glory and his goodness, his righteousness, his care, his benevolence, his mercy, and his grace. And so oftentimes you may hear of People speak of certainly the book, the Bible, but also the book of nature. The fact that you can observe like you would in a book and hear like you would in a book and even read uh, through nature how glorious and amazing the Lord really is if you're looking at it in that way. If you look even deep into the processes of human life and nurturing human life, if you look into the processes of the animal kingdom, if you look into astronomy, anywhere you look in nature, you should find the fingerprint of God that displays his glorious character and existence. And so, in these verses, as we're talking about a lack of or deficiency in we are to be encouraged in faith or to take examples to grow our faith through that book of nature. And so we started with the birds, right? As those whom God feeds, even though they don't have the faculties and the abilities and certainly not are, not, are not created in the image of God like we are, God feeds them and cares for them. In fact, we in other places in Scripture that he knows, even though sparrow for a penny in the marketplace, he knows when they fall. And has even ordained that. That the vastness of his majesty confronts us everywhere you want to turn. I remember the first time that I saw mountains. How mind-blowing that was. And even as a little kid, not having much knowledge about God whatsoever, being confronted with the fact that he must be 
so much more grand than even those mountains which were uh, overtaking all of my senses. And then the, the older you get, the more that you are given opportunities to peer into or, or turn back the pages of what you see out in nature. I even remember our first son being born. And just the way that the human body works to bring that about, and then once he was with us, how that life is nourished, protected. God is extremely marvelous in his creation. You can go to the cellular level, and you can find just how intricate and intelligent the design to be. It is certainly no waste of time to meditate on the book of nature because it is a book about the glory of God. And I think that we in our context need to take um, need to take this serious and take this to heart. That we need to stop once in a while and watch the birds. We need to stop once in a while and look at plant life. We need to look at how all these things are existing in this world and meditate on how they exist. What they're telling us. We're not to leave them alone. They are being opened for you and me to deepen or strengthen the deficiencies in our faith. So I don't know if you're a nature lover. I don't know if you like birds. I don't know what you like. But I would say that you need to cultivate a, a love for nature because it tells you something about your father. And if you love your father, you want to know all you can know about him. And certainly, your mind will be blown continuously as you look in these things. And so, it's no, it should be no surprise to us that when Jesus is talking about the things of life that concern us or worry us or, or hold our attention more than anything else, that he says simply to look at what God has placed around you as examples for why that is a misplaced concern. And this example today, I think, is truly astonishing. Because we're talking about a concern for clothing, and he gives the example that, look, even the wisest, richest man to have ever lived cannot dress himself in the splendor and the beauty that the Lord can do to flowers that are quickly passing away. So why would you even concern yourself as a focus of your life to attempt that. And if you read Ecclesiastes, I think what you get, once you get to chapters like 7 through 10 maybe, uh, Solomon's going to say that. Like, look, I have used all this wealth to adorn myself with all this splendor, and it was vanity. Because I can't do what God can do. And so when, when he is addressing, I think, specifically this concern for clothing, he is really getting into the heart of the gospel. 
because when we start really getting to the root of why we are trying to make ourselves outwardly beautiful, it's because we're trying to cover up the, the mess and the distortion and the um, just ugliness of what it means to be a human. What it means to be a, this fallen creature who desires disgusting things. What has happened to the image of God that we were created in, but is hardly even recognizable anymore. And so if we can cover it up, then we can at least ignore it or at least shield people's gaze from seeing our ugliness or whatever the case may be. But the beautiful thing about what we're talking about here with clothing is that we're not talking about how or what outwardly you're going to be adorned with. Actually, what Jesus is getting at in these three verses is the way that you get adorned through the good news that Jesus came to put his righteousness on you. That's the gospel. And as you read the epistles especially, you'll hear Paul and you'll hear John at times talk about putting on Christ. And you are supposed to be drawn into a focus on what it is that you are to be adorned with every day. We read descriptions of how godly women are not those that are concerned with what they can put on themselves, but the godliness that characterizes them. We even read in Ephesians 2 that we were have these good works that God created and prepared beforehand and he laid them out that we should walk in them, which always makes me think of him putting out our clothes before we get up in the day. And then when we get up, we say, oh, there's what I need to put on today. And I walk in that. So the idea here is to, to put on only what God can clothe you with. To rely on, focus on, be amazed with how God will adorn you today. And we'll see that sometimes exposure or nakedness in the outward sense of the human body will happen at times. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about a clothing that is eternal, imperishable, spotless, without wrinkle, without rip or tear. We're talking about a wedding garment that you have to have on to attend the, the wedding supper of the lamb and his bride. It's not to say that God doesn't care that you have clothes. Obviously, he does. But it is to say that your concern about what those are is not anywhere close to what your concern should be about what God wants you to wear 
in spirit today. And the only way that you get there is having that kind of focus, right? Because all of anxiety goes back to answering a few questions. When anxiety takes over your life in the sinful way that it, it redirects your, your soul focus and your soul energies um, and abilities and time and all that sort of stuff that you have, given, have been given from God to spend, when, when it directs that to something other than the Lord and his kingdom and his righteousness, then you're in sin with your worry. And verses 25 through 34 are meant to set us free from worrying about just existing. And they're supposed to help us live as kingdom citizens in a very real way in the world that we exist in for a moment. And so uh, the way that you need to work this out is by asking some questions. And so I'll ask you some questions here just to start. Uh, Number one, what do you want? Like, what what do you want out of life? What do you want today? What do you want people to know about you? What, what do you want people to have? What, what, what do you want? That'll tell you a lot. Are your desires for the things, uh, for, for the things of the world greater than your desire for God? And that's the question in these verses. Like, are you spending more of your attention and energy desiring things that aren't of God? How about this? What is the main theme of your pursuits in life? Are you working a job just to get more money? Are you working a job just to get more prestige? Are you working a job just to be recognized as holding a certain position? Or or are you there as an ambassador for Christ? What about your extracurriculars? Why, Why do you volunteer where you volunteer? Why do you go where you go? Why do you do what you do? Do you entrust yourself to the care of the Father so much that you direct all of your life and energies to his kingdom and righteousness, knowing that he will provide for daily life needs? And all of us will at one time or another say, no, we don't. No, I don't entrust myself to God in that way all the time. Be honest. And as surely as you say no, understand that then you, that's wrong. That shouldn't be, even though it will be, it should not be. So we need to press into that, we need to be aware of that, and we need to learn what it means to entrust ourselves to the care of the Father. That glorifies God. When we are given up in those anxieties, giving them over to him. He tells us to do that, right? 
First Peter? Cast all our burdens, anxieties on him because he cares for us? He wants people to know that about his relationship with his children. That he's taking care of them. That they're not concerned about the, the daily things of life in a way that, that runs their life. They have a, a unique countercultural focus. You know, it's easy to see this, especially in the context of maybe being a high schooler or a 20-something-year-old. <laughs> they all, you know, when you're that age, you, you seem to have the same focuses and desires of the people around you. You want to be popular, you want to, you want to wear nice clothes, you want to do things that make you well-known, you want to be attractive. And those kind of run your life. So what would it look like for them not to? What would it look like if the pursuit of the kingdom of God and his righteousness was the main theme of your life? And by the way, you, you well, we'll get into that in a later sermon. So anyways, verses 28 through 30. <clears throat> Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, to be anxious is to be concerned with. And Jesus has a question. When Jesus asks a question, he knows the answer. So the question is for us to self-examine because we know the answer too. But we avoid asking ourselves the question because we know the answer. So he just brings it out in the open. Why are you anxious about clothing? He knows that. He knows that you are watching closely your garments. You are paying special attention and giving special care to how they are wearing and where you might get more or how well it looks when it's draped over your frame. Why are you worried about that, he says. And then he opens the book of nature. Consider, watch closely, Examine, observe the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Nature was created to point beyond itself to its creator. Sin comes into play in the Romans 1 context when we begin to worship what was created more than the creator. That's why when you see mountains or when you see a beautiful lily or when you see a flowering plant or when you see the most magnificent 12-point buck, uh, you're supposed to look to how that happened. How'd that happen? Who did that? Who had such creativity to put that together? And our faith 
grows in the observations. So look at the flowers. You know there are 300,000 plus identified species of plants in the world. We will never identify all of them. And they all are unique. And they all uh, are adorned in different ways. And some of them even look like insects or birds. Some of them uh, gain nutrients in, in amazing ways. Some of them can exist for hundreds of years. Some of them can exist in the most harsh environments. Some of them in seed form can last hundreds if not thousands of years and then germinate once planted after that amount of time. You certainly know the different varieties of flowers. We have flower shops and they don't even begin to touch what's out there in the world. You have plants that look like flames of fire. You have plants that look like a, a princess adorned in a beautiful gown. You have plants that can grow 10 feet tall and flower a single flower out just as wide. The, the, the beauty in the plant world is unsearchable. They can be minuscule, microscopic, or they can be mammoth-sized. And every one of them, God has, has, has put together in such a way that he says, Solomon, Solomon, the richest, wisest man, he could not compare with them. Radiant, brilliant glory, all that money could buy, all that artistry could come up with, cannot even touch a flower of the field that you may not even see. Do we think that how we clothe ourselves will make us who we want to be? Can somebody who sews a dress or a suit do more beauty than God. If that is the case, then we shouldn't even try to compare. And I would say in this context, if, if it is true that we can't, or Solomon couldn't even, wrap himself in such a beautiful garment as God does the flowers, then what are we talking about? When it says in verse 30 that if God clothes the grass of the field in this way, which is today alive and tomorrow's thrown to heaven, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? We've already established we can't be as beautiful as the flowers. So what's he talking about when he says that God will much more clothe us? Oh, that's really what we want to get to. For God to clothe us means that literally he's going to provide clothes. And I have to say that because we have to understand that 
the idea of making yourself beautiful before God or dressed appropriately is impossible. End that idea in your mind right now. You are only dressed appropriately in His presence if He gives you the garment to wear. You can't go find it somewhere hanging on a clothes rack. There's no store that says, hey, before you get to heaven, come buy this so that you're dressed appropriately when you get there. No. You, you, the Bible tells us that before, especially the Word of God, we are all laid bare. We're open, naked. He sees Everything. He sees into the innermost being. We see examples in the Gospels of Jesus. Uh, he knows what's in the heart of men. And that is the, the nakedness that we're talking about. The being laid bare. I want to pause here and just direct you. Uh, maybe you want to write this down. But later on sometime you need to get on YouTube and search up R.C. Sproul talking about being clothed. or talking about nakedness. I've never heard somebody give a theology of nakedness like he does. We're not talking about physical nakedness. We're talking about spiritual nakedness. And God is the only one who can provide for that. So, temporary things are beautiful. More beautiful than you and I. Because God chose to display them in that way. To point to His amazing creativity and ability in creation. But we are not temporary, verse 30 says. The grass is, the flowers are, it's temporary. But we're not temporary. So how are we to be clothed? Isaiah 61.10, I will rejoice, or we will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's what we're talking about. And I especially love this in Zechariah, Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. Listen as I read this to you. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Do you 
see that scene? <laughs> you have this vision here of, of Joshua and Satan standing before the Lord. And, and we know through Scripture that, that Satan or, or Lucifer was created as kind of like the, the morning star. He was this most beautiful angel, right? And certainly he likes to present himself that way in the world. That's where he likes to do his damage and his misleading and his lying. So you have this, and you have Joshua standing before the Lord. And what happens? Well, it only points out the fact that Joshua is the one clothed with filthy garments. doesn't say anything about Satan. And what does the Lord do? Or the angel of the Lord, which we would recognize as Jesus. He takes Joshua's filthy garments and removes them and replaces them with pure vestments. So what can Satan do? This is, this is Romans 8. Understand that, that Satan is, is, can't bring a charge against God's elect because he, he has clothed his elect in pure garments. He has put on us what we could not put on ourselves. He has adorned us with a beauty and a purity that is not for us to go make or pull off a rack, but he put it on. He didn't put it on Satan. And Satan's wanting to say, look, he's filthy. He's not acceptable here. And Jesus exists at the right hand of God as the example of how his people are so clothed. The righteousness at the right hand of God it is, is what we will be adorned in now if we're believers, and certainly at that marriage supper where you have to have a garment to be present. So who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. Who's going to say we don't have the proper attire? Nobody. Who's going to make sure that you have the proper attire? God. So we are to be concerned about, again, what righteousness looks like on us. And if we're following the example of Scripture to put on Christ, what it looks like for us to display Jesus. Here is a, is a surety that I knew, uh, although I hardly knew anything else when I got married. I knew that as beautiful as my wife is and certainly was, that never would I see such a beauty on her or in her as when she is close and uh, uh, showing, mirroring Jesus. There is no greater beauty that you can display in the world. And his people see it and they recognize it. The glory that will come off you as an aroma, the Bible tells us, for death to some, but to life to those who are being saved of, of Jesus. So you may be, maybe you wear the same outfit every day. 
you know? And I, I kind of wish I could pull that off because it'd make life a lot easier, wouldn't it? I don't have to go to the closet and look for what I need to wear. I wear the same thing every day. Um, it, people will see something that will overshadow what is draped over your body. It's not to say that you can just wear whatever you want, right? But it is to say, as long as you put on clothes that make yourself presentable and, and aren't distracting from the glory of God, then you, you have the opportunity to display the glory of God. As surely Christ lives in you by His Spirit, that is what people are meant to see. That's why you're here. Because He has dressed you in His righteousness and His goodness and His glory. Otherwise, we would have all just went home a long time ago. But you're here, already dressed in these robes of righteousness, already existing as somebody that can be identified as a, being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven so that people understand what that kingdom looks like, what it's about, and who the king is. We only get there through being dressed in his righteousness. The only beauty that the world needs to see from you is his righteousness reflecting off you. Revelation 3.18, Brother Jeff Parks always says that uh, the American church is probably akin to the Laodicean church. And so in the letter to the church of Laodicea, or the messenger, or the pastor to the church in Laodicea, he counsels them because they think they're rich. They think they don't have need of anything. But he tells them, no, you're actually poor, blind, and naked. Like, no, we have the best clothes. We have purple garments. We have Gucci. We have Nike. No. We are not naked. But he says, no, you are. Verse 18, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Boy, we worry about what's in our closets but are we going to worry about what's in our hearts? Are we going to worry about what people are really seeing? I tell you what I wore yesterday. I can tell you what my wife wore last Friday. But I can tell you what I experienced from these people. I can tell you what people experienced from me. Maybe it was good and maybe it was bad. So listen. Jesus will much more clothe you than you can even think about doing. You know, I couldn't sleep at one point last night. Um, No, I take that back. I was sleeping. 
And then when there's a disturbance, my body decides, oh, well, you can just stay up the rest of the night. So I was awakened. And again, what do we do when we are awakened and can't go back to sleep? We grab the phone, start scrolling. And I start scrolling, and I quickly realize what I'm preaching in a few hours. And I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> I, I am looking at everything else but the glory of God. I am looking at what it would look like to adorn myself with this or that instead of the righteousness that is mine in Christ that he's told me to put on and focus on first and foremost every day. And as surely as it was past midnight and the next day, that was not my first focus. I want, what do we want people to see us wearing? And you have to be countercultural because we're so obsessed in this culture with what we wear, what we put on, and what we look like. Understand this too, that we are talking about being clothed in righteousness and that there may be actual physical nakedness that comes to people. Because in Romans 8, we're told that nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ and that would include the possibility and at sometimes the reality of peril or sword or famine or nakedness as an actual affliction that people may face. So what are we talking about when he says he's going to much more clothe us than the lilies of the field? We don't understand the beauty of Christ on the believer. But you've all seen it. You all know what it looks like to encounter somebody that you're just like, man, Jesus is there. Like, gosh, that, I want to, that person, they get Jesus just coming off of, all over them. You can see him coming, even. So the little faith that Jesus describes us as having is a deficient faith. So take heart, Christian. You know these truths. You have been clothed in his righteousness. You will have that heavenly garment when you approach his throne. And you will be acceptable before him. But you are here today with that same garment draped around you, with that same garment laid out for you every day, the question is, will you walk in it? Will you put it on and walk in it? Our priorities have to get straight. And they can easily be thrown off and get wrong, but take heart. Because Psalm 32, that was your fighter verse this week, 
is all about the ability and the readiness to confess sin and repent and the glory of God to restore you, to clothe you, and to keep you on the narrow path. So, if you feel like you're just walking in sold garments today, then repent. Put on that garment which has been given to you through the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And you will be truly beautiful. Pray to the Lord now and then we'll stand and sing together.